Welcome back to another episode of Dog Backwards, where we look at life, faith, and theology from a different angle. So I was recently asked to be on the Right to Reason podcast. That's with Robert Stanley. Robert is a atheist, and he wanted to have a discussion about whether or not God exists. Robert was a very kind host. I really enjoyed our time discussing this subject together. I think it's a very fruitful discussion, and I think you will enjoy it as well. So with no further delay, here you go. Pastor, speaker, writer, apologist. You can find him at calebmore.tv. Pastor Moore, how are you doing today? Hey, not too bad. Thanks for having me. Happy to, happy to be talking to you, man. I heard you on Seth Andrews. I thought it was a really cool conversation, and I, I got to hear a couple of uh, your episodes. You have your own podcast. Uh, people can find that at that website, right? Yes, yeah. It's called Dog Backwards. It's, it's, it's not a yoga podcast, as some people think, right? Like, right. <laughs> so uh, I saw that you also do, uh, what is it, like like young men's uh, marriage counseling or, or marriage training or something like that? Uh, we offer free premarital counseling to anybody in the Tulsa and greater Tulsa area, whether they're Christian or non-Christian. We just, uh, divorce sucks, and uh, it's a big decision to get married, and People spend a lot of time planning their wedding, but they don't spend any time planning their marriage and how to resolve conflict. So we just like to uh, help people out. Are you a, a, like a licensed therapist or is this more like a, a religious? No, no, I'm not uh, licensed anything. Um, <laughs> it's basically me and my wife talking about uh, things that we've dealt with. And then uh, we also bring in different couples. Uh, some of them have been married a year. Some of them have been married 50 years. And just allow people to ask questions about how have you overcome this? How have you dealt with this? So we don't, uh, if there's serious marital issues, we always recommend them to a licensed counselor. But it's a, it's a good introduction to just, you know, a lot of people don't have a healthy married couple to talk to. They, they don't, their parents weren't healthily married. They don't know their grandparents. And so sometimes just having somebody who's, you know, I've been married 12 years and that's a lot long. That's really long for some people. It's not that long for others. But just having somebody to bounce ideas and thoughts and like, oh, you guys struggle with this too, so it's normal for us to do deal with this, you know, just something like that. Yeah. Do, do you do you ever kind of like like okay? So for for my experience with the wife, we we've gotten a, a rough patch about midways in. We've been married about as long as you guys have, mm -hmm. and we went out to get some uh, marriage counseling. And it's, and we go to this therapist, we asked right up front, because, you know, we're atheists, so mm -hmm. naturally it would be like if you went to a marriage therapist and and you had to ask if they're Muslim, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like the like the, the therapist is going to be like, uh, whatever your right hand possesses you can do and start quoting the Quran at you or something and a bunch of rape stuff, and you'd be like, well, this isn't the kind of marriage I want, you know, just because I'm a Christian, right? As an atheist, it, you have to be very careful not to get like a lot of Christian advice, um, I don't want to say advice, Christian-based counseling, right? So we asked right up front and said, "Hey, are you, um, are you, are, 
are you a Christian? She says, yes, I am. Is this going to be a, like a Christian kind of counseling thing? No, it's not. By the, by the fourth session in, uh, she starts recommending, you know, maybe you should pray about it. Maybe you should ask God. Psalm 17 says, you know, what it's just like, oh, come on. Yeah. So I feel like there's a lot of, a lot of folks out there that, that will kind of slip in some, some religious stuff, but at least, at least you're, you're coming out right out front kind of with this. It's more kind of Christian focused counseling. Well, yeah, well, we use biblical principles and, uh, I mean, we have people from all different backgrounds. The majority of people who come to it have no, you know, I I wonder how many atheist, atheist marriage counselors there are because by atheist standards, um, why is divorce a bad thing? I mean, if it's, uh, I can understand if you, you know, you want to work through something, but the idea that marriage should last seems to come from more of a uh, Western Judeo-Christian worldview, whereas it's almost normal now that, like, you know, the second marriage is the one you get right, you know? So I, I'm not saying that atheism is the underlying cause of why there's less people <laughs> staying married. I'm just curious as to what an atheist marriage counselor, I mean, because a a Christian marriage counselor is going to say things that an atheist marriage counselor might say as, you know, you should respect the other person. You, you know, here's how to argue without being mad. Here's how to focus on the actual subject instead of digging up old stuff, you know, things like that. Um, But I, I don't know, like Christians and atheism is divorce bad. Or is it just something that happens? It's not. It's not bad in like uh, intrinsically ethical sense. Bad, no. But obviously, we know that it's painful for everybody. Um, and it, there's. Uh, You're asking how many are there? There's uh, the Secular Therapy Project is actually one of the organizations that um, tries to get a conglomerate of atheist and secular therapists together. Uh, that. Really, they, they, they would just teach just from the science uh, or, or, or counsel just from the science. And it's not going to be uh, any advice from religious doctrines, if if that's a fair way to say it. Sure. Um, so I mean, in the same way where I, I can appreciate the pushback where you'd say, you know, what difference does it make if you're an atheist? You know, what do you care? But and I know that's, you know, it's not your exact words, but the I kind of wonder, too, like with Christianity, what do you do with all that misogynist stuff that you can find in the Old Testament about, you know, it's okay to, uh, if, if a woman gets raped, it's okay to um, let her be purchased by her rapist, you know, or if, uh, in the, even in the New Testament, women stay silent in the churches. That seems a little demeaning to me. Go home, ask your husbands about it later. Um, that well, would, would so to a, a difficult marriage. So I'm not I'm not sure how familiar you are with how Christians have understood and read that for thousands of years. And sometimes uh, in these conversations that I have with atheists, and I don't do them nearly as much as I used to. There used to be a time where this consumed a large amount of my time. Um, there's a way they read things, though for almost all of Christian history, it was never understood as that. Uh, and the implications, and it's not if a woman is raped, she has to be 
purchased. It was if they were in, uh, if they had adultery, right? So if like they, they slept together, the guy couldn't just be like, hit it and quit it. You know, um, <laughs> he, he had to say, look, because, uh, virginity was highly prized and it was as though he would be robbing her. So there at least had to be like, look, it, because of this and the woman is, is fully willing to say, no, she doesn't have to, but he needs to be offered like, look, we, we made this. And because this has happened, you know, you can prove a girl is not a virgin. You can't do that to a guy. So to keep him from being a misogynistic um, jerk, that was part of the culture. And so, and in the New Testament, so like all these things, these are the um, very common atheist. So I don't know any Christian and I don't know if, I mean, I think you used to be a Christian. Is that correct? Yeah. I personally don't know. And I'm sure there have been who, when a woman talks in church, they say, hey, you be quiet. And you know, the Bible says this, right? Shut up. So when you, when you read where it says uh, the women must be quiet, the uh, actual um, interpretation, not the term, but translation says the woman. And if you read it in context, it's about this woman who's causing all sorts of issues in the church, one standing woman. up and screaming. So it's about one woman, right? Uh, because, well, Robert, I don't... I've heard that one before. I've heard, I've heard a lot of them where it's like, uh, well, what it really means is that uh, back then, the women used to do a lot of cackling. And we, you know, he was dealing with that group at that church at the time. I never heard it being... The oh, woman. That's clever. It's well, it's Robert. You know, it's it's you know, not it's not clever because it's not that the disciples were total morons. Because the same author who wrote that a little bit later on writes, you know, when a woman is prophesying in the church, and so it's not that like all of a sudden five minutes like after he wrote one thing he forgot what he wrote on the other. It's that if any worldview, if I'm going to examine it, I'm going to examine it fairly. And you can always go for cheap shots and sound bites, which is what made a lot of the four horsemen of atheism very popular. They went for cheap shots and sound bites. But I'm not interested in cheap shots. Like I, for, for a good, healthy conversation, Robert, if we're going to have one, I'm not interested in like, well, you know, the Old Testament says this. And, and then you throw like 50 different things out and like it's what I call the shotgun approach by atheism. And I hear it a lot. So I'm really hoping that we could have a conversation that is a little bit more meaningful. I think your audience and my audience deserve that. Well said, well said, Caleb. So you are aware of what I'm referring to though. Yes. That there, there are cultural differences and that there have been um, a lot of more, old-fashioned, conservative-based approaches to marriage coming out of Christianity, and the thing that they reference is their, their holy book. Like, this isn't—like, what I'm saying isn't totally preposterous to you. It, I'm sure you know what I'm referring to, even if the, the very specifics of whether it was one well, woman or multiple women or— Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess there might be, like, cartoon versions of people that have used that— but it's that's, never been something that's been taken seriously because look at the history of Christianity. Wherever it's gone throughout the culture, the rights of women have improved, right? So um, wherever Christianity is embedded, education improves. The rights of women improve. And so to say, like, Christianity destroys 
the marriage relationship or is bad for marriage just seems, I don't know, I, it's, not, it's not an opinion that I think has been well thought through. Right. No, I, I wouldn't say it's bad for marriage. I'm, a lot of our, our understanding of marriage comes from Christianity, sure. Right. And as, as colonialism progressed, uh, so did education and, and lots of stuff. I'm with you 100%. So anything, anything can be abused. That doesn't make the, the object um, that they're using necessarily bad, right? Like um, people abuse the Constitution all the time. That doesn't make the Constitution intrinsically bad just because it gets abused. I, I, I feel like you're – take this with a grain of salt because I don't mean this as, as a personal attack against you, but, but more just your perspective, if it's okay to say it. I feel like you're being a little intentionally obtuse. Like you don't – like you're, you're, you're not – you know what the hell I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Like, like th- Yeah, no, I'm – like, it, like I say, there, there are people that I'm sure – so it – Look, so we probably come from somewhat different backgrounds, so maybe your exposure to Christianity is slightly different than mine. Were, were you raised in a fundamentalist environment at all? Absolutely. You, okay. You read that right so that, that probably paints a very different picture of Christianity. I'm, I'm not a fan of fundamentalism, right? Um, and oftentimes, I, I know several atheists, and Seth is one of them. Seth grew up in a fundamentalist church. Uh, his brother goes to my church. His um, oh really? Yeah, his older brother is yes. um, one of the core members of our church, and so it, it's interesting. You can have people grow up in the same environment, and um, it, oftentimes, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, and I'm not trying to be combative in any sense, but sometimes sure. when people grow up in a fundamentalist environment and leave. I don't feel like they leave fundamentalism. And so when I talk to Seth, I'm still hearing a fundamentalist mindset where it's, it's literally just going through, I was told all this and this is wrong. And then going to, well, somebody else told me this. And there's like this vigor behind fundamentalism. There's this passion behind fundamentalism. Um, but it's not always really well thought through. And so I have that issue with fundamentalist Christians who might use verses that have to deal with, you know, women remain quiet and things like that and use that to shut their wife down. I think that's wrong. And I also don't think it's biblical. And so I think the issue um, isn't necessarily religion. I think it's a fundamentalist mindset. Does that make any sense? makes perfect sense. I, I just, when I use, when I referred to you as not, being completely legitimate here about about how you're you're responding to this i mean that your your kind of more modern liberal-esque uh new age non-denominational christian uh construct that you have now that emerged out of fundamentalism right fundamentalism emerged out of um the the early puritanism right that emerged out of the roman catholic church roman catholic church came out of you know the the the, the roman period and, and the combination of, of jews and gentiles coming together uh during christ's life this all goes back to the bronze age like as we progress we become a lot cooler to women right so, i mean so whenever i say like your book is from a time that we were less cool to women and you say no, no, not at all. Like I, I, I kind of get the feeling like you're, 
Do you, do you think the Bible is inerrant? Like, I don't mean like you know a typo, but I mean like it's really God breathed. This is all correct. I believe the Bible literarily, and the parts that it means to be literal, I take literal. Yeah, I mean, I believe I'm. So I'm not. I'm not a liberal Christian by any means. I'm a Southern Baptist pastor, brother. <laughs> like I don't. I don't. I don't know. Uh, you know. Um, I'm. I'm what's called Reformed, which means we're always trying to trim the fat of tradition and get back to what the Bible actually says. And if I just read the Bible, I'm going to get a very positive view of women. Right. So there's women deacons in the Bible. Uh, there is Jesus treating women as equals. And in a time when a woman's testimony was equal with that of a dog, the resurrection stories depend upon the first testimony of women. Now, their, their testimony wouldn't have been allowed in court. But Jesus, we see him treating like he goes to this woman who's got a whole bunch of husbands and he doesn't care. He like he's not viewing her as somehow less. He talks to her like a normal human being and treats her as though she's created in the image of God. So I, I'm not it's not that I'm trying to be obtuse, as you say. I, I just I disagree with your viewpoint. When I read scripture, I see women highly held to a beautiful standard. And, I, you know, um, before that, there wasn't that standard. Yeah, that's fair. They, they were they were even rougher before then. That's true. Right. So, yeah. Now, you, you when we began this conversation, you wanted to talk about whether or not God exists. Is that something you would still... Because I, I don't want to go into 50 different subjects and we don't get to cover one very well. <laughs> sure. Uh, so, I don't think he does, personally. Um, I kind of feel like I lost a lot when I became an atheist. Um, mm. I lost my best friend, uh, somebody I could talk to. Um but I also, you know, I gained a lot. It's, it, I felt kind of like, and, and I don't mean this in any condescending way, but I kind of feel like I grew up a little bit uh, where I got some harsh truths thrown at me. Not like I got smarter, you know, or I'm more mature right. or anything, but just, just where like, I just, I had to accept that there's maybe not some intrinsic value within the universe. It wasn't created by someone. Um, and I, I appreciate that transition that happened. And whenever I speak to somebody that's still a believer, um, I understand where you're coming from. And I, in some way, I almost don't want you to give that up uh, because of how much it means to you. But in the other side, I, I believe you can handle it. I believe most folks can handle that. And, and it, it's, it's better afterwards, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's, that's really beautiful of you to say that, you know, you, you're not necessarily wanting me to lose my faith. Do you know that I was an atheist for many years, correct? I, I remember you referencing that. Yeah. And, man, you're going to think I'm a jerk for saying this, but I have heard that so many times from you people. <laughs> right. But no, from Christians all the time say, oh, I used to be an atheist. I was an atheist. Where you, you know, I don't know. So let, let me answer that. Uh, no. So I, I said I was an atheist all the time, and I thought I was an atheist. I, I keep pretty good journals, and years later I went back and read through, and for somebody who didn't believe in God, I sure talked about him an awful lot. And I, I find that is oftentimes 
fairly consistent with people who are atheists now that come out of Christianity, that they're, they don't believe in God anymore, but they still talk about him a lot. So I read in my journals how I hated him, um, how I didn't think he was there, how I didn't believe, and I enjoyed in many ways, in many ways I enjoyed the freedom not having um, some divine responsibility or judgment looming over my head. Uh, but I'm much, I much, am in a much better place and much happier and have much more joy now that I'm out of it. So I, I look back at that time and I remember it and it feels like a weird time because I don't know about you and I don't know your story. All I know is you grew up fundamentalist. Um, I listened to one, one of your podcasts and it was with a, a fundamentalist friend you have. And so I just assumed that if he's fundamentalist, you grew up that same way. Um, I didn't leave Christianity because of intellectual reasons. And uh, I didn't stay an atheist for a while because of intellectual reasons. It was, it was an emotional response. And then I had this emotional like event happen in my life. And what we often do is we pull together the things that support whatever decision we made ahead of time. And so I started reading all the atheist books. And, and both of us, uh, I don't know how old you are. I'm 40. But we might be products. Oh. Are you about the same age? Getting, getting close. Okay. I'm 37 this 37. Oh, so, so you're just a young man I'm talking to just then. Right, yeah. <laughs> Um, so both of us are kind of have grown up in a similar trajectory culturally where there was this Christendom that loomed behind everything where the television and radio all had kind of this Christianity light in the background and then television started to branch out. And then all of a sudden we have the four horsemen of atheism and atheism becomes really popular for a while. And so a lot of Christians see this cultural movement away from Christianity and it carries a lot of people away with it because if we're not careful, we are just a product of our environment in many aspects, not totally, but in many aspects. And now I see people, um, um, going the opposite way. Like Jordan Peterson is bringing a lot of people who are like the four horsemen have kind of gone. You don't, well, I, I know Hitchens is gone, but the whole movement kind of went away to some extent, even, even nowadays with atheism, it became a very, uh, like identity politics themed, uh, movement. Um, the, the idea of humanism kind of had different definitions. There was a whole lot of, uh, disagreement yeah. with LGBTQ uh, sides of it and with other sides that are, you know, more uh, uh, free speech or, or it, it, it just, everything started splintering. Um, well, I it, think that's, yeah. So, I mean, cause I think if you think through atheism, you end up like Sam Harris, who just says everything's predetermined and you have no free choice. And so I think atheism was really popular for a little bit because it was surface level atheism. They liked, I, I love Christopher Hitchens. Um, I, I loved his wit. Um, I loved how, you know, I, I would like it how sometimes he would really give it to people, but I didn't think his arguments were good. I thought he w was a clever comedian. He would make a great stand up comedian. Yeah. Um, you know, Wait. he was like a Lenny Bruce, right? Um, so stuff against women. He said, women, women aren't funny. Right, right, right. So, <laughs> Ironically, the where we came full circle there. Right. So um, I, I just think when atheism is actually examined, it doesn't stand. 
And so it, it had its blip on the screen and those who grew up maybe fundamentalist or in overtly, overly religious, um, where it was all the rules, but none of the relationship. I can understand why they carried along with that movement. I was a part of it, right? I, my dad was a preacher and I didn't like my dad and my youth pastor blew his brains out. So I was like, forget this. Let's get out of here. Really? Yeah. How old were you? Uh, I was 18. Mm. I was a senior in high school. So it was right at that time where you're graduating high school and you just might as well graduate your faith as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of your rebellious stage, right? You got out there, got a little wild, got a little crazy. <laughs> My rebellious stage started at about seven. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was stealing cigarettes at 11 and shoplifting comic books even before that. But Shoot I just, <laughs> yeah, right. That black tar <laughs> at five. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I feel like the. The, a lot of the arguments that I hear about the existence of God kind of come from uh, misconceptions about reality. Uh, one, one that I, I hear a lot is, you know, what, how can you get something from nothing? And I, I always, I'm always curious about that because neither of us really believe in nothing. Uh, you believe God always was, and I believe this always was. I, don't, I, I can't think of a time that there was nothing. I can't even understand that concept. It, it's 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 kind of philosophical, but if you if you start thinking about it literally, how could nothing be? And I wondered that if that might be a, a nice starting point because we could find a lot of common ground in saying that there never was nothing, and that's that's a place where we can find agreement. Well, in, in, in scientific language, nothingness is the absence of time, space, and matter, right? So before any of that came into existence, and uh, Stephen Hawking and Sir Robert Penrose would say that before the Big Bang, there's no time, space, or matter. That view evolves and changes uh, from time to time, but it always tends to go back to that original starting point. And so it's not that for Christians to say God existed before creation isn't to say, well, there was nothing, right? The, the term creation ex nihilio means that God created out of nothing, that there was no time, space, or matter. The God we believe in is a God that exists outside of those things. Now, I don't know what it means to exist outside of time. It, it is a, it's some, yeah, it's something I'm confined to, right? But I also only operate in certain dimensions, but science somehow, some way, I, I don't do the math, says there's about 12 to 13 different dimensions that exist around us, right? Well, how does yeah. that work? I mean, who knows? Yeah, I, it, yeah I'm, I'm with you there. I think the general consensus, I mean, they, don't, they really don't know a lot about the Big Bang still, but uh, certainly not what occurred before it, if we can even use that term. I don't even know <laughs> what's before. But you, you, you can't, because yeah. how, right. how could science, you, you know... How could science say anything about what happened before the laws of physics came into existence? You can't use the laws of physics until you have the laws of physics, right? So it would, it, science can't tell you what happened before time, space, and matter created. It's just not designed to do so. But they, they don't necessarily disagree with one another about whether or not there was energy. Can't be created, destroyed. There was, there was something that caused the bang. Um, so 
that something you say is God, and to me I say it's just more of this. Uh, it seems to me that this is just a a cyclical pattern, and it's hard it's hard for for your brain and my brain to imagine uh, something different from where we're at. In the same way, like it's hard for us to understand what the hell a black hole really is, and it's, it's also hard for us to understand what you know a, a string theory is and, and what are quarks. And we can't get the big stuff. We can't get the small stuff. And I, I kind of feel like our brains do the same thing with time, but or the Trinity. Well. <laughs> Perfect. Right. So that's science. That's just, that's just like a claim. So a black hole, um, if you were to go to the event horizon, um, theoretically, you'd be able to see the future, the present and the past at the same time. So given that I was going towards a big black hole of nothing, um, I could see the past, present and future at the same time. That makes no sense to me. And and so now it's beautiful and it's impressive but the Trinity is the same kind of bigness, right? Because if I was to say God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit as one being, and they go, that's contradictory. One plus one plus one is three. I'll say, well, past, present, and future at the same time going towards a big black hole of nothing, right? So um, I think sometimes atheists don't give enough credit that there is mysteries that are somewhat understood in the universe, and the same could apply to Christianity as well could we at least admit that as far as we understand the laws of logic currently um the trinity definitely violates one if not all of them where we could say that um what do you care if we violate the laws of logic it's not intellectually honest to do so it's not like i care it's just the the argument itself well are the laws are, are the laws of logic binding on anybody I think we kind of agree on those whenever we're referring to reality. Yeah, it, it, we, we're relying on both of us operating within some kind of... Well, I, I mean, I have an account for the laws of logic. So I have this foundation, this platform I'm standing on. And from an atheist perspective, it, 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 I think you have to stand on my platform as well. And this is part of my issue with atheism. Like your very podcast, The Right to Reason. Well, where does that right come from? And why is reasoning, you know, something that everybody should do? Why are the laws of logic beholden to you as well as to me? I mean, because let's be honest, they're immaterial, they're unchanging, and they're universal. They're not natural laws that you can weigh, you know, how much does the number four weigh? Well, you don't know because the laws of mathematics don't exist in the natural world. Uh, the laws of logic are supernatural. They are beyond the natural world. And so my worldview gives account for them, and we have a brain and a mind that we should use the laws of logic. And so I would hold you to the same laws of logic that I hold to because I believe they are universal. From atheism, aren't your laws of logic just personal preferences? No, I'm not. <laughs> I don't have laws of logic. Uh I think it'd be fair to say that they're not supernatural. They're trying to describe the natural. Um, so, in the in the same way that you know the way that we describe, uh, however, the electromagnetic spectrum reflects off of an apple. We describe it as red. Is it really red? You know, it's 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 uh, phraseology that we're using uh, that seems to help us understand reality. As it is. It seems like we've discovered them, not created them. 
So I don't remember somebody who first sat down and was like, hey, A cannot be A and B at the same time. Yeah. In the law of non-contradiction, right? It seems that we've discovered these laws. Correct. I, I think that's a fair way to say it. So they, this is, yeah. We were Whether we exist or not, I think it would be fair to say the laws of logic would still be. So the idea of does God or exist or not, I almost think is a boring argument because I don't know how you even have the conversations unless you admit that there's a God in the first place. So let me just give you a kind of a naturalistic, you know, word picture. If I took a bottle of Mountain Dew and a bottle of Dr. Pepper and shook them up and I took the top off at the same time, all they're going to do is fizz because they're just chemical reactions interacting with their environment. You would never ask which one's winning the debate, would you? If there's no God, I'm fizzing Christianity. You're fizzing, fizzing atheism. We're just advanced chemical reactions interacting with our environment. You have to have God to have logic, free will, thought, truth, any of these things. So when somebody says, I don't believe God exists, um, and they want a rational, reasonable explanation why I think he does exist, I, I think they lose the argument this, the, like the very second they ask for rationality in return because they have to stand on my foundation in order to make that argument. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? A hundred percent. I feel like that's, that's why it, it's so hard to let that go because and by that I mean him. Right. It, it, because you you attach your your worldview, your your perspective attaches all of logic, all of truth, all of reasoning, your rights, your human rights, your values. Uh, you, you love your kid. Whenever you look at your kid, you don't think that's just chemical going on. You think that's that's love father to son, just like your holy heavenly father loves you. Like you attach all of this, uh, like you were referencing marriage earlier. This is a union that God has brought together. Everything of value to you and, and your perspective goes right back to God. Like it, 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 it comes from God and you're grateful for it and you thank him for it. And how in the world, like if, if for you to let go of God, you got to let go of everything, much of yourself and uh, much of your identity, right? And that's that's why it's so difficult. But here's the here's the thing that hit me, and this this hit me recently. I'm still kind of working on it. Help me help me break sure, it down. Sure. If, if there's a flaw in it, poke it for me. But I think the reason that maybe some of these religions and worldviews become successful is because they are useful fictions that are able to operate within reality, within the, the rules that we have to operate within, right? But not just physical laws, but also uh, hierarchical structures. Like you were referring to Peterson earlier, right? Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of that stuff where he'll say, you know, these certain things were from the beginning. They're part of our evolution, as it were. Um, and whether it... All, all the religions that couldn't maintain uh, this useful fiction that, that shaped their culture, shaped their value system, uh, kept them from treating each other like complete animals and, and, and violating others' rights, uh, these things kept growing and growing and growing and evolving. And I think that's why today you, you say, yeah, the, the kind of uh, church that I'm in now, the kind of denomination I'm in, it's not like that fundamentalist stuff from back in the day, right? This is this is much better, and this is the way it was always intended. 
conveniently, you know, but you have to keep this, this kind of perspective of it's always been that way. And okay. Anything, if there was anything that didn't make sense about what you were doing, it wouldn't have lasted this long. You know what I mean? But once you, once you let go of the religion, once you let go of the faith, like nothing really changes in that regard because the part that you drop off wasn't the real part, right? It wasn't the part that you were understanding reality through or hierarchical structures or physics. Do you know what I mean? So I, I'm, I'm trying to follow you here, but I, I'm having trouble with a couple of things. And maybe I can yeah. just prod a little bit because when asking, does God exist? What is the best explanation for the world that we live in? We see our world operates on certain fundamental constants, right? Um, in science, in, um, in mathematics, in the laws of logic, it operates on these things perfectly, right? Like they, they are extremely consistent. Einstein says that the, uh, the miracle of the universe is that there is no miracles, that it operates so perfectly, right? That these laws are unchanging. And so I say, hey, my worldview gives account for that. And atheism actually goes against what we see and experience every single day using the laws of logic and mathematics and all this stuff, right? So all these immaterial, unchanging, universal constants, my unchanging, universal, constant creator explains those things very well. And when I challenge that atheism actually does not have an explanation, in fact, rejects those things and makes them just this byproduct of a chemical reaction. It's just your DNA dancing, uh, as Dawkins would say. We just dance to our DNA that you have no free choice to do so. You go right back to the, well, isn't that convenient? Isn't that, you know, (laughs) see, like, as a fundamentalist, um, I would encourage people to just go back to the Bible because that's all that the reformers did. That's how we, you know, Martin Luther goes against Catholicism. He didn't come up with something new. Christianity has a self-correcting mechanism in it to where we have this book and a Pope can say, hey, give me money and I'll get your person out of purgatory early. Um, we can say, you're an idiot and go away. That's not in the book. And as, as soon as we, people were able to read it and we were able to read because the printing press invented to make Bibles, right? And education created by uh, Christianity in order to teach people how to read their Bible, right? So like uh, as soon as people actually just read the Bible for themselves, they'll find that a lot of the arguments against Christianity don't hold up to what Christianity said about itself. I always like that one. uh, Oh, I'm going to ruin it. Maybe you can help me, but it's it's one of those where theism can answer all the questions except the problem of evil and atheism can only answer the problem of evil. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. Pretty clever. That's like, you know. You're right. I mean, we don't, we don't know where all this came from. Uh, the humility required to go throughout your day like that is, is, is excruciating at first and you get comfortable with it later. Well, are you, are you a naturalist? Would you call yourself a naturalist? <sighs> you're going to, you're going to, Accuse me of playing semantics whenever I answer that. No. I got to be careful, though. I got to be careful because you guys, you guys are sharp, man. Well, because, <laughs> I mean, because naturalism is stupid. Uh, methodological naturalism um, is probably the, the best phraseology for that that I would use, not necessarily philosophical naturalism. 
because you, you can't know what isn't natural. So we can only test the things that are, you know, here right now. I, I knock on my desk. I know that made that sound. Um, anything that's not natural, that's supernatural, as it were, we wouldn't be able to test it anyway. You know, so, uh, at the end of the day, I, I'm I'm one of those far out there atheist wackos that you were referring to, right? I'm I'm a determinist. Uh, I, I believe in will. I don't necessarily think free will is real. Um, I I think there's just there's just this matter. There's just this stuff around us. Uh, maybe there's more. I can't prove it, but you know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm I die. The light switch goes off. Uh, I I I don't even know that necessarily like it goes deeper than not having free will. Like once you start opening up your mind to that stuff, it is, you got to be careful not to let your brain fall out. Cause it well, gets freaking crazy out here. Well, it, well, the, the thing is, is it reduces itself to absurdity. I mean, if I was an atheist, I might as well veer towards nihilism because there is no absolute morality. There is no good or evil. And as you say, like, you know, you're, you're kind of a determinist, right? Which, did you choose to have this debate or did your DNA and your social upbringing and your environment tell you to have this conversation? No. Did you leave Christianity because you were predisposed by your genetic makeup to have that emotional response um, towards Christianity where you had disdain and dislike for it? Or did you choose of your own free will? So this is why I think atheism is losing ground rapidly is because if you do carry it out to its logical end, absurdity and nihilism is all you get. You certainly, you certainly are at risk of nihilism for sure. I think one thing that saves a lot of people once they once they lose that foundation of God and scriptures and and it doesn't just have to be Christianity of any kind of traditional religious structure. Um, one thing that that I think saves a lot of people is is looking at a lot of your morals, uh, your altruism, your empathy, and seeing that these are th- products of evolution, that these things exist outside of the human race. Um, and that that might sound cold and metallic to you and, and without meaning, but it actually is kind of encouraging because that lets you know, oh, that's where all those religious people got it from as well. They just, you know, once again, it's kind of back to that that uh, comment I was making earlier that's still kind of working it out, but it's like, it's like that, that structure, that system was able to function within reality of Christianity or, or, uh, Islam or Buddhism or whatever, because it followed enough of the rules that it had to, to have this cultural significance. But once that falls away, the rules still exist. You just have to figure out, like, oh, well, why did I feel uh, empathy toward my child and love toward my child? Oh, it was it was a scientific thing. I mean, that's not as cool as, as what I was told when I was a kid. That that other well, it's said, it's not it's not love if there is no God. It is it is a chemical reaction within your brain telling that you should protect this person until they're old enough to protect themselves. Mm-hmm. But that means that you had a you know, a chemical response when you first met your wife. And there were certain attributes that um, you somehow consciously decided that you needed in your life. Maybe she was funny. Maybe she was smart. 
Well, in an evolutionary mindset, if somebody came along that was funnier, smarter, um, and had those attributes that you liked in your wife, but just to a greater sense, then not only would you be justified in leaving your wife and marrying this other person, uh, you know, you would be encouraged to do so because you wanted to propagate your DNA with somebody who more fully represented whatever aspects that you felt like you were missing in your life. So uh, this is this is this is where we science ourselves to death. And uh, things like love, beauty, you know, truth. Like science is good at explaining some things, but scientism and this idea that it explains everything, it is, it is kind of boring to, to say, I don't love my kids, it's just a chemical reaction. And I think the reason everybody responds so negatively to that is because we intrinsically know that it's just not simply true. Well, it feels icky. It, it does. And I appreciate that about you, Robert. I really appreciate that you say that. That I feel icky. <laughs> well, that you go, yeah, that that that, that it's tough, right? And it it well, I, I, yeah, I've given you a lot of a lot of rope on this one. Where, where I agree with you that it can be dangerous, that it could lead to uh, kind of nihilistic thinking. Well, what's the point of this anyway? Uh, that that it it feels cold and metallic and icky, you know. And that I'm with you a hundred percent on all that. That doesn't have any bearing on its validity. Um, it feels so good to believe in Jesus. <laughs> it does. Uh, like, especially all, all these folks going through the, the Corona thing right now. Um, it would really make me feel good to think if this gets my, my parents, it's okay. I'm going to see him again. Um, it would make me feel really good to know that, uh, I could pray and help the world maybe maybe you know maybe not a lot but I, I could at least i could i could talk to god and 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 ask him could you could you please get rid of this virus all those things would be extremely comforting um but we know that that at least i i know that this that has just as much value as as you would think of value in a, a buddhist uh doing some kind of meditative chant about the coronavirus like you it makes him feel good, and that's nice. That's good for him. That's part of his culture. Like I said, I I don't want to rip away something that you attach to love, and and value, and rights, and reasoning. That it's too it's too attached for you. It would it would it would it's like a it's like a wound that you have, and you have the cloth, the you know the, the bandage laid over it, and it's still healing, and it just you pull off this scab. Like it's not. You're not ready for that if you're that attached to the this concept, but oh, Robert, I'm I'm attached to truth. So this idea that um, in spite of the evidence, I wouldn't leave Christianity because I'm too attached to the emotion. Look, our conversation about does God exist, and my argument is is that of course He exists um, because the the contrary is absurd. And it's not that I'm just attached to Jesus, therefore I think love is actually love and not just an advanced chemical reaction, or that it is actually wrong to murder people. I mean, because according to atheism, these moral guidelines, they're just preferences. So somebody could go chop up their neighbor, and though you might dislike that, that's just their chemical reaction in their brain interacting with their environment. Right? There's nothing wrong with being a sociopath in atheism. 
that's just their genetic makeup. And they should be allowed to express themselves however they want to express themselves. Who cares what they do to other people? And when I, I, when I look at that, I go, no, that's absurd. Of course God exists because the contrary is absurdity. It reduces itself to nihilism. So it's not that I'm too attached to Jesus to examine the truth. And, you know, look, if there was no God, I, I've left Christianity before, I would leave again. And it was hard when I left the first time. I barely saw my family. All my family were Christians. I barely saw them. Half the time I would work Christmas just so I didn't have to go home for Christmas. So it's not that I cling to it um, like some Southern American clinging to his gun and Bible. <laughs> I, I want truth, man. And Jesus is truth. I mean, I know, I know you're releasing this next week, but today's Easter. And if you miss it so much, you're welcome to come home anytime, brother. <laughs> there are there are facets I miss. Like, you understand what I mean when I say that you have a lot attached to your God belief, though. Like you, you keep bringing up morality as well. Your your morals are attached to it. And, and <laughs> uh, well, you, you look my. So I, I had very similar morality when I was not a Christian. It's not that my morality is attached to my Christianity. It's how do I give account for the morals that we all have. So you, you're a nice guy. You, you seem to be a really nice guy. I've enjoyed talking with you. you. I'm sure you love your kids and you do nice things for them. And you're, you know, you've, um, you love your wife and um, are compassionate. Now, anybody can do these things. And we're just asking which worldview gives a better account for it. And in atheism, there is no ultimate justification for morality at all. It's protoplasm can do whatever it wants to other bags of protoplasm, right? Who cares? The universe doesn't care. Science doesn't care. Science is indifferent to morality. And so I'm just saying, hey, look, my worldview gives an actually good account for it. And Let's do the morality thing. I think another one of these where it still exists with or without your worldview and I, I don't think that you could imagine it doing so. So, like, like morals... Ima- okay, okay. Here's one. You've got, uh, uh, you've got objective morality because you have uh, an overall lawgiver, right? We all have it, yes. We, we all have objective morality. That would be how I explain. That would be how I explain it. Imagine if there could still be objective morality even if there wasn't a lawgiver. And, and the way that that could exist is in the, um, it's similar to if we were playing chess, right? And I, um, oh, what's it called whenever you, you move your king over and bring, a uh, castling, right? Sure, yeah. Checkmate is the only, yeah, I'm, I'm more well, of a checkers yeah. guy. Yeah, no, go ahead. In checkers, if I, I get to the end of your side and you got to king me, right? And then yep. I can start coming backwards. And at that point, you say, whoa, you can't go backwards. I said, what, what do you mean? Yeah, of course I can. No, that, I've always understood the rules to be that when you get to the end, that's a point. When you say king me, you get a point. And each time we get a point. I said, no, I, I, now the king can move wherever he wants, man, as long as he's on the same color squares. You say, no, that's not right. We might play the game your way. We might play it my way. But there is an overall rule, right? Yes. There is best way to play the game. Even if, even if that rule sucks, we'll probably adjust it a little bit. You know, the way that we do with Monopoly, 
right? It makes make it a little bit more fun because the way Monopoly was originally written, that's not really the best way to play the game. And so there is a best way for us to increase human flourishing, to treat one another. And that exists even after you drop that backpack of bricks called faith. Like, it's still there. You still love your common man. It might be a little bit of a straw man to say that atheists are okay with their neighbors chopping up someone. <laughs> right? It, 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 it's still around. You, you still want to do good. You still want to leave the world better than you found it. Because you start to realize that if you don't do it, nobody will. Nobody's up there in the sky that's going to do it for you. Um, ethics doesn't go away. Morality doesn't go away. So using the board game um, illustration that you used, somebody sat down and created that board game. You know, if I play Monopoly and we're trying to figure out how much money gets divvied up between each person and everybody has a different opinion, we go to the rule book. And it's, of course, I'm, you know, I'm a nice guy, I hope. You're a nice guy, I hope. So we could be like, look, people aren't just going to go around chopping up other people. You know, you can get rid of this whole God thing. Well, there are people who like to do that. And my question is, in atheism, how do you say that is evil or wrong? Now, you can say, hey, the betterment of humankind, uh, humanism, philosophy is what we should all be. I'm like, why is that better? You've, you've just chosen for that to be better. Arbitrarily. It, it, doesn't, like, it doesn't have any implications to what other people. That's just your personal preference. Well, it, we could at least say that there's, some more, than, it's, there's more than preference. If, if Hitler would have won we would agree that it would be objectively not good. Even if we were all Nazis today and we all thought that being in the, in the third rake is the way to, to be, you know, like we, you and I would say, yeah. And that reality, if we were watching like that, that science fiction film where you go back in time and things right. change, we'd be like, yeah, that, that sucked. That was a horrible dystopian uh, reality that or dimension or something. Right. So, th- I mean, there's, Clearly, we both know that there's uh, a concept that there's objectivity, uh, both in the sense of if we all agree on something and even if we all agree on it with consensus, it still has value um, beyond us, right? Because there's still truth and, and something can be either good for you, like orange juice, or bad for you, like battery acid. Uh, or, or having your rights violated uh, if I force you to drink the battery acid. We know that's still wrong. Morals, morals can still be even without the lawgiver. So, again, I have orange juice right in front of me, so I'm like making sure it's not battery acid. Um, there, there's, I, I just see it's – I feel like you're all over the place, man, because – you're like, it's, it's determined. Well, no, not, not in subject wise, but in explanation. Cause you're like, yeah, there is kind of this universal moral, but we can have a universal morality without a lawgiver, but you're also deterministic. And we know there is not absolute morality according to atheism. You're just like, well, if we played a board game and we would agree on a best way, well, what if I came in and I thought the best way, like I could play like my four-year-old who's who the way he plays is I win. Right. So it doesn't matter what the rules are. He just wants to win. Well, there are grownups who play life like that four year old. They don't care who they hurt or what they do wrong. You know, I'm sure there's a hundred politicians out there that are as corrupt and evil as could possibly be. They're playing the game by different rules and they've created their own rules. Now, in atheism, there's nothing wrong with what they're doing. 
you might not like it, but they're not doing something they shouldn't be doing. They might not like it. Say that, say that last part again for me, if you don't mind. Yeah, uh, they might not like it. They're just, I don't even know what I said. Um, they're just, they're, like, you might, you might not enjoy how they play the game, but you can't say it's wrong for them to play the game the way they feel like they should play it. I mean, after all, it's just time plus chance plus matter created these human beings. They're determined by their DNA. They're just dancing to their DNA, man. So uh, you have your board game. They have theirs. Who cares what the rules are? Again, that's, yeah. yeah, that's where it gets tough for sure. And I think that's where we start to uh, see the value of the marketplace of ideas of philosophy, which I, I can I can see you know you you, you enjoy, of uh, you know these political discussions that we have, human progress, um, conversations like you and I have just now. I've really enjoyed it, and I the next time we talk, hopefully hopefully you'll sure do, yeah uh, talking to me again. I would love to share uh, my perspective on how determinism and ethics actually make perfect sense together. Um, and, and, and I think it might just blow your mind. Maybe not. Maybe you'll just laugh at me. <laughs> just like my horrible monopoly, monopoly. No, you're good. Analogy. But, but either way, the, uh, what I, can I, I, can I ask you one question before I know we got to wrap up, but sure. Um, when somebody says they are no longer a Christian, but they grew up Catholic, I instantly understand why they are no longer Christian, right? <laughs> like I went to Catholic school, but I'm not a Christian anymore. I'm like, I, I wouldn't be a Christian if I went to Catholic school. Um, how much of a role do you think that fundamentalism upbringing? So much. Do you, so do, much. You, do you ever yeah. wonder if there's a Christianity that doesn't come with the baggage of fundamentalism and have you examined it much? Yeah, um, I've looked at it a lot, and that's kind of, I see it as that same, uh, and I know I'm, I'm beating a dead horse with this, uh, reference to uh, whether or not a, a sociological and religious system can function within reality and, and be successful throughout the years. It, it has to keep adjusting as mankind's kind of common ethos matures, right? So fundamentalism really like holds you back in modern life. And, and it, it screwed me up for, for like college, for marriage, for parenting, for, uh, not work ethic. That one, it gets you pretty good. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that whole puritist, pure, pure uh, puritism kind of stuff. But, but a, a lot of stuff, it, it holds you back for the modern world. Um, and just the way that everybody kind of thinks sociologically, like we, we've got kind of a common theme and, and culturally. And so, as as these religions have to progress, uh, they have to adapt. They have to evolve. And so, yeah, I think your version of the faith would be a lot harder to um, kind of connect with. You know what I mean? Like, well, I want to say different. Yeah. It would be easier to connect with. It would be a lot harder to leave. Uh, but you know, another fifty years, it's going to be somebody else saying, "Well, you 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 kind of come out of that religion like Pastor Moore." Oh man, that stuff's horrible. Why don't you try this one? That's Pastor Moore's religion, too. Well, you know, you know and I, I hope they do. Like I, I hope um, people look at the way I live the Christian faith and continue to refine it. So I'm a reformer, which means I'm always reforming, and I've let go of lots of things that were a part of my upbringing. 
So I'm an annihilationist, which means I don't think that hell is eternal. I think it serves its time and it's like capital punishment. It's over and then it's over. And I think that's what the Bible teaches. And I only make that argument using the Bible. And so your latest episode, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of did a quick run through of it. Um, It's about a four hour lecture that you try to do in 40 minutes. So (laughs) drinking from the fire hydrant. Um, But so... I don't think that, well, Christianity is always evolving. I don't think it's evolving. Like, I'm, I'm a part of the great reversal, trying to go back to the Garden of Eden. And I think the whole culture is. That's why Bernie Sanders does so well, because equality for all, everybody taken care of. Well, we're talking about the kingdom of God. That's what it looks like, right? So I, I'm, I want to, people to continue to get back to what Scripture says and get rid of religious. And, and the reason I ask this, I, I list the one of your podcasts that I listened to. I was almost heartbroken by how little you knew or understood of what Christianity actually was. There was one example. It was, it was, uh, you know, I had to click on it because it was like, Jesus is a stupid cult leader. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? So I was like, well, I want to, I want to hear what he has to say. And you were like, uh, Jesus talking about the stars falling. And you were like, see, that's stupid. Stars don't do that. Right. And I was like, man, for somebody who grew up in the church, you know nothing about the Bible. So all through the Old Testament, there is what's called decreation language. And it's like the stars falling and the, the moon being blotted out. And every single time that shows up, it's a prophecy about the destruction of a person or a village, right? So when that shows up, nobody, it was like Drax. Like when I was listening, it sounded like Drax from Guardians of the Galaxy. Like nothing's over my head. I can reach up and grab it, right? He doesn't understand the language that's being used. And it's not some kind of creative metaphor that I'm trying to snuggle in. This is every, <laughs> I was thinking. <laughs> every single time it's used, right? Every single time it's used, it has a very specific meaning. And so when Jesus is talking about it, he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, which happens, right? So it's incredibly consistent to be, for me, like, I, I don't know. So I, I want people to have these conversations, but I want to have good conversations. Yeah. And it breaks my heart when somebody leaves Christianity and then they describe it that way. Like, see how stupid this is? I'm like, okay, that was a very young, immature faith that you left. And there is a much more mature faith. And I think one of the reasons you still miss all the Jesus stuff and you miss that best friend is because it is true. And atheism, reduced to what atheism is, is absurdity. And so I just want to encourage you. It's Easter Sunday. I won't preach at you anymore. But God loves you. Jesus Christ died. I've been to the empty tomb. He's not there. And of all the criticisms that have been thrown at Christianity, there are still over 2 billion Christians. In 2015, there was over 10 million Muslims converted to Christianity. Christianity is one of the major causes of the revolution going on in China right now where people want rights because they read that everyone is created in the image of God. And we have places like Russia and China where they have gotten rid of Christianity almost totally. And those two combined have caused more bloodshed in the 20th century than the last 19th combined. Right? So you get rid of Christianity. Like you and I still live in a Christian culture. We still carry the remnants of it all, like everywhere in your morality that atheism is trying to do through humanism is borrowing from Christianity. So there's a reason that Christianity has had such a positive. Now, it, 
It has its problems, and they're usually people. The problem isn't with Jesus or God. The problem is with the people who profess to believe in that. And I think you and I have both been hurt by that, but I don't want to confuse God with religion and walk away from both. Caleb Moore, that's Caleb with a C, CalebMoore.tv. Caleb, uh, Pastor Moore, thank you so much. Man. Robert, I, yeah, I really enjoyed it, buddy. I really did. Let's do this again. Let, let's let's get into exactly what you were just talking about, uh, if it's just the people or if it's a little sure. more to it, maybe uh, talk about determinism. Uh, thanks so much, man. Happy Easter. I feel the beginning of a beautiful friendship. <laughs> Happy <laughs> Easter, brother. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye.